And that's the hypocrisy of my work, is that my entire business has been built on bias and shame. And I struggle with that every single day. So just the fact that people are sent to me to be fixed <laughs> is already showing the triggers and the, the fears of the organization of we can't have someone like this or someone who speaks like this representing our company and they will not be accepted in the world. So their fear is being projected onto the individual. Then the individual shows up and their fear of acceptance of, of meeting the requirements of their job, um, of school teachers, their entire lives who have told them their English isn't good enough, of every experience where someone misunderstood them. And all of that piles on top of each other and influences how they show up in the world. And that's what I think is the saddest part is that we're losing the brilliance of so much of the human population behind this screen of everyone needs to be perfect and speak perfectly and have good English. There is no such thing. And we're missing so much because of it. It sounds so shame-based when I listen to you. It, it sounds is. like the the reason people are coming to you is because they are ashamed of how they fundamentally are. Can you yes, speak more to that? It's very shame-based, um, incredibly shame-based, which is so, so sad and it breaks my heart. And I've experienced it myself because I've I speak foreign languages and I've been in situations where people don't respect me or take me seriously because of the way I sound and the way I speak. And they make judgments about my education level based on the language that I choose to use, which might be simpler than a, a typical fluent native speaker of the languages I speak. So yes, they come with a lot of shame of I'm not good enough. I don't speak well enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not worldly enough. I can't meet the expectations. Uh, I need to hide who I really am. I want to sound like you. And I say, why on earth would you want to sound like me? You're not me. Why? But, oh, but I can't sound Chinese or I can't sound Indian or I'm running a Chinese company, but there's a political situation. I can't be seen as Chinese. I can't be seen as Russian. People who change their names, clients who change their names because they don't want the world to see them for who they are. That for me is absolutely heartbreaking. And it also reminds me each and every day how privileged I am to have been born into a language and an accent that is so easily recognizable globally and easily respected globally that I don't have to hide who I am. And I happen to be a member of a very privileged class globally that, and, and that's the hypocrisy of my work is that my entire business has been built on bias and shame. And I struggle with that every single day. And that's why I appreciate opportunities like this to speak about the other side, about how these people should not have to do this. But unless I help them, they won't get the promotion. They won't be given the opportunity to speak at the big event. Um, they won't even be hired in some cases. And so it's a very, very, very difficult job that I've struggled with for over 15 years. What do you think the next wave is in moving on from the role of supporting those who don't feel safe with their own voices and who the whole world is shaming their voices, you're supporting them to move beyond that? What would you see as the ideal future scenario, the turning point? <laughs> 
ideally, I would put myself out of business because the world begins accepting everyone for who they are. Unfortunately, I know for a fact I'll be in business as long as I possibly can be and want to work because I can only make a very small dent. And, you know, the other areas of bias and discrimination that we've been dealing with for hundreds of years, it's like, when will we ever get over it? Um, and we've barely started with language and accent. It's a conversation that isn't being had. So the best I can hope for is raising awareness through conversations like this um, helping people to understand that these biases exist and that we all have them and hopefully start to make changes in in companies, in their diversity policies, and that they start talking about language and accent because everything is mentioned except for this. This is probably the last remaining acceptable form of discrimination where you might not say, we can't hire him because he's Indian, but you can say, mm, his communication skills are just, he's too difficult to understand. I can't understand his accent is just way too heavy. And that's why I'm not hiring him. You can't get away with, with not hiring someone because he's Indian, but you can easily blame it on, on accent. And that's not protected in pretty much all countries of the world, it's not protected. Uh, so there's a really, really long way to go. Um, I don't fear for my job at all. I think I'll be in business <laughs> until, my, until my dying days, but um, I wish it weren't that way. I, I, and that's why I do appreciate the opportunity to, to talk as much as possible about these subjects. I think something that you're touching here is the fundamental need for all of us to grieve how inequitable our world is and how yes. much change and healing is required. And I, when I speak about this with other therapists um, or coaches or facilitators, I think there's this constant need for us to come back to own there is so much work to do um, that we're only going to be able to make this small dent so we can't heal the world or change the paradigm. Mm -hmm. And every time we honour our own boundary around that, we have to come back and, and grieve how much uh, inequity there is in the world. Mm -hmm. And so for me, mm -hmm. that's a constant process and it it's yes. that grieving that allows me to renew and continue because otherwise it just feels like too much to deal with the weight or the burden of it is yes. kind of insurmountable. Yeah, that completely resonates. And there are those days where it's like, why do I bother? Why am I doing this? You hear the awful stories. I get the calls from managers and HR and the words they use, the terminology they use, uh, that these people need to be fixed when when they're truly not broken, it's it's really, it's very hard. And it's a daily struggle, I think, in running my business, as well as all the guilt from, is it is it right that I earn money off of shame and guilt and bias and, and all of these horrible things that I want to rectify in the world, right? Like how, how do you come to terms with that? So there's a lot of inner struggle in this, in this larger you know, game of business. Um, but I have to hope and keep doing my small parts and those small steps to help those who come to me looking for help and also try to change the world in the small way that I can and know that that's enough, that I'm doing my part and I'm, I'm making that little dent and that will be the dent someone else stands on to make the next one. You know, that that's the only way I can look at it to, 
to make myself sane um, around all of this. I think that emotional toll of this kind of work, yeah. whether it's, you know, in the realm of DEI, which is where I, I think awesome. I would place you if I was going to place you, or whether it's in the role of a therapist or a coach, or yeah. I even see it for nurses, doctors, and also teachers. Mm. When you're in a position of supporting people that are going through adversity, you know, at any dimension in their life, it does take this huge emotional toll. And I think particularly after the last couple of years, you know, through and beyond COVID, that toll seems to be far heavier for, for all of us mm -hmm. in these space-holding, facilitating, caregiving, life-giving roles. And so it's such a common thing for me to hear when I'm speaking to people in this field or exactly what you said, like, why am I even doing this? This is too much. This is taking from me. Mm -hmm. And then it, to me, that continues to point back to focusing on our own healing and our own boundaries uh, to make mm -hmm. sure yeah. we're not giving more than we have. Right. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge a lot of us have. Right. And I certainly do of really making those boundaries around my evenings, around my family time around and know that what I'm doing is enough. I could work around the clock nonstop and still I won't solve this problem in my lifetime. Um, so I have to be okay with what I can do and give myself that space, right? And uh, and and know that makes me better, right? And this is this is the kind of stuff I struggle with because I want to go 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 and achieve 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 and write the next book and do the PhD, right? And and so it, it yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It links back to the ladder climbing and the plant flagging. Yeah. I think it's all mm -hmm. so interconnected. It's the it quandary of our modern world. Um, mm -hmm. Wow, going quite deep, aren't we? <laughs> I know, we just dove right into that, didn't we, Natalia? <laughs> Thank you for your time, your presence, and your receptivity. The better we understand how we have decontextualized, the more we can begin to co-create a kinder and more intelligent world. If this episode stirred you, please like it, leave a comment, or share it. To learn more about my work, visit nataliarachel.com or connect with me via LinkedIn, Instagram or YouTube. For now, leaving you with intentions for healing and collaborative, innovative regeneration.